Harmony and Healing Podcast, a podcast about music, health, wellness, and activism that will help you to find balance between life as a musician and self-care through health and wellness. I'm your host, Jazzy Piggott, a tuba player, composer, certified personal trainer, writer, educator, and podcaster based in Baltimore, Maryland. In the next few episodes, I will be discussing habits. In part one, I covered what exactly they are, why they're important, the seven categories of habits people try to change, and knowing yourself better through the four tendencies framework and other characterizations that will allow you to choose the best habit strategies for you. In last week's episode, part two, I discussed several habit change strategies that will be sure to make you successful in whatever resolutions you may have. Monitoring, scheduling, accountability, first steps, the clean slates, and the lightning bolt. In this episode, I will be discussing several more habit change strategies involving minimizing effort to follow habits and relating to other people. This episode and these series of episodes are based on the knowledge I gained from Gretchen Rubin's book, Better Than Before. It was the first book I read of 2021. It's about habit change and was transformative in the way I think about things. So if you can, I strongly encourage you to read it. Just to recap, habits are routines or behaviors repeated regularly and often subconsciously. The best way to understand habits is to understand the habit change. While not mentioned in Better Than Before, this was discussed in depth in Charles Duhigg's The Power of Habit and James Clear's Atomic Habits. Habits are based on a cue-action-reward sequence. You pick up on an environmental cue, act by completing the habit, and then have the reward of completing the habit. The easiest ways to change a habit come from changing the environment to change the cues or the rewards associated with the action. These next few strategies involve making changes to make habits use less effort by affecting the habit chain. Number one, abstaining and moderating. Some people are abstainers and some people are moderators. Abstainers are people who cannot moderate things. They either will eat no chocolate or they will have all the chocolate. And the moderators are people who can have a little bit of something without worrying that they'll go overboard. They can have a single piece of chocolate and leave the rest of the bar behind. Abstainers will do better by just abstaining instead of trying to moderate because they do not have the ability to do so. Abstaining eliminates the need to choose because you don't need to think about how much you need to eat of the thing. You just don't eat the thing. Moderators should also not try to be abstainers, or they maybe get preoccupied with the thing that they are avoiding, or it might result in some sort of rebellion in the future. It's also possible to be both, depending on context. I abstain from fried foods. I can't control myself around french fries, and they make me feel terrible, so I just don't eat them. Ever. But moderate salty snacks like crackers and nuts, foods that I consider to be more indulgent, are things that I can moderate. And if you're abstaining, saying I don't do X is easier than saying I shouldn't do X or I can't do X because you're owning your choice to not indulge. So this is very important. I think I mentioned this in one of my growth mindset episodes. I believe the second episode or both of them. So that's episodes 20 and 21 where I talked about how if somebody offers you something at a party and you say, oh no, I can't do that. It's different than saying, oh, sorry, I won't eat that. 
So yes, habit strategy number one is abstaining or moderating in order to make the choice not a choice anymore. Because when you abstain, you don't need to choose how much you're going to eat. If you're moderating, then you know you're moderating it. You're not going to leave it out. Strategy two, convenience and inconvenience. Making a new habit convenient and more pleasurable will make you more likely to do it. Making a bad habit less convenient will make you less likely to do it. Examples of convenience are meal prepping healthy meals for the week, setting washed and cut vegetables at eye level in the fridge, setting out your gym bag by the door, working out at home, putting your instrument where you will see it frequently, and having your music workstation set up already. Some examples of the strategy of inconvenience are using opaque bins in unfrequented location to hide your unhealthy snacks, not buying certain things to force yourself to go to the store if you want them, putting your alarm across the room, distracting yourself with another activity, such as journaling in the evening in another room to avoid midnight snacking, and curbing impulse shopping by not grabbing a cart or basket. So these are very powerful strategies. I know at home, or I guess for me, the biggest one that I did was the strategy of inconvenience in my unhealthy snacks, where I made sure I put all the processed foods that I would eat and snack on into opaque bins, and then I would hide them under a table. So if I really wanted to eat them, then I would find them. But otherwise, I'm not thinking about them because I'm not seeing them constantly on the counter. It removes that cue of seeing it on the counter and then going to eat it and completing that habit. So yes, convenience and inconvenience are both very, very, very important. And especially the healthy food one, as far as the strategy of convenience, Because if you buy pre-cut veggies, yes, you're spending more money buying pre-cut vegetables, but I can't tell you the amount of times that I've let vegetables spoil in my fridge because I was just too lazy to chop them up and wash them and get them ready to eat. It was just laziness rather than, okay, let me just pick up the bag of pre-cut broccoli and then just pour it into my air fryer and then I'm good. So figure out how to make things more convenient or more inconvenient for you. Three, the strategy of safeguards. This is having plans in place to protect your habits. One way this can be done is by eliminating your habit cues. Things that trigger a habit change, such as moods, places, times, other people, pattern, or etc. Out of sight equals out of mind. So that would be hiding or just not buying candy or junk food. Another safeguard is using if-then planning because this can reinforce good habits and prevent slipping. An example of this is, if I do my homework, then I put my phone in the other room, or if it rains, then I rebound instead of running. So this prevents you from slipping because you know if something happens that's going to derail the habit cue that you have, especially for good habit, you have a backup in order to keep going. Now, it's really important to avoid using guilt or shame from slipping up on habits as a safeguard because that might inspire rebellion. Yes, you slipped on a habit. Yes, you ate like a whole cake and you feel terrible. You feel guilty. You feel shameful. You feel sick. That's not strong enough to prevent you from slipping on a habit. And it will just make you feel worse in the end because then you'll get rebellious in the end because you don't want to feel that way. Nobody wants to feel guilty and shameful all the time. So don't make yourself feel that way. Another important thing with safeguards is that you make sure you start the habit out strong. 
The first repetitions will enforce it, so slipping in the future won't necessarily throw you completely off the habit chain or change. So what do I mean by this? If you are deciding to do a yoga habit, for instance, like I was last week, make sure for the whole first week you are consistent in some way. Even if something comes up, just make sure you get five minutes in just to make sure you're reinforcing the habit because those first few repetitions are the things that are going to make the habit as strong as possible. And then remember, what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. Please do not let a slip turn into a fall. An example of this would be going over your calorie 100 calories, so then you continue to go over it by 1,000 calories because you were already over. Or you skipped one day of running because it was raining, and then it turns into a whole week of running because you just didn't feel like going back into the running. So if you miss one day, that's fine. So just figure out how to get back on track the next day. But don't let yourself fall. Don't let yourself stay down and keep avoiding the good habit or keep indulging in the bad habit. Another powerful safeguard is having planned exceptions to habits every now and then so that you aren't eroding the habit and you're making sure you have time to celebrate or enjoy your vacations. So this could be planning to take a break from practicing on your vacation before going on vacation. This isn't the same as doing that in the moment. If you decide, ah, I don't feel like practicing, so I'm not going to practice, that's not a planned exception. A planned exception is, okay, for a Christmas break, I'm not going to practice for the first week. And I am taking that time off and I'm saying that now. And then the first week comes, you don't practice. And then you get right back on it the next week. So these need to be planned exceptions. Anything in the moment is not planned. So do not let things happen in the moment. I will get back to loopholes soon. Fourth strategy is distraction. Distract yourself to prevent bad habits from temptation or stress and encouraging good habits. This means shifting your attention to something else for a little while on purpose. For example, if you have a craving, do something else for 20 minutes before giving in. If you want to impulse buy on Amazon, put the items in your cart, but wait a day to officially check out. Another one is waiting an hour to respond to a sensitive text message so the emotion is gone. This can be very effective with many things. Just find a way to distract yourself because oftentimes... The way you react in a moment is responding based on a habit. So if you have a bad habit of reacting negatively to a situation by removing yourself from the queue, by distracting yourself and postponing that action and the reward, you then can effectively manage that habit. So distraction, very important. The next habit change strategy is rewards and treats. So I mentioned these both in episodes 2 and episode 22. Or maybe that was episode 21. It was in episode 2 in some other episode in the Growth Mindset series. So I believe that was 20 or 21. Anyways, so rewards are things that you get for doing an activity. Treats are things that you get just because you feel like getting that treat. To maintain a habit and intrinsic motivation, only use rewards related to the activity. For example, if you run a half marathon, get new running shoes, not a cake. This helps you avoid creating a new unhealthy habit change. Because, for example, if you reward a week on your diet with a cheat day that ruins your progress, you're going to create an unhealthy habit chain where it's a binging and purging mentality. 
So you spend the whole week on your diet, then you binge on Saturday because it's your cheat day. Don't do that. Also, as I mentioned in last week's episode, avoid the finish line reward to maintain habits. So this is really important for people, especially if you're trying to gain weight, because a lot of people have a finish line mentality when it comes to weight loss. Okay, I need to lose 100 pounds. Yeah, I hit, lost the 100 pounds. Now I can stop doing everything because I hit the finish line. No, in order to not regain the weight after ending a diet, you need to keep that going. There's no finish line, especially for weight loss. You're always going to be putting in effort to make sure you don't bounce back up the scale because those habits that got you up there are so ingrained that you will slip back into them if you don't maintain effort to create the new good habits you created. Now, treats are just because you want something. They are not linked to an activity. Treats, like celebrating successes in episode 17, increase morale by helping you feel energized and cared for. It can be a cookie once in a while or maybe taking a 10-minute break. What's a treat for one person may not be a treat for someone else. For me, taking a walk or run in the middle of the day is a treat. But for somebody else, that probably could be a form of punishment. Now, you also want to make sure you watch out for unhealthy treats. That would be treating yourself to some sort of food or a shopping spree, something that's derailing your progress, or maybe a day off. That's a cheat day. So, yes, make sure you're not falling for unhealthy treats when you're using the strategy of using treats. Six, we have pairing. This is almost like if-then planning. This is linking two habits together to either minimize bad habits or maximize your good habits. This is most successfully done by pairing one activity that you need or want to do with one activity that you really don't want to do. I used pairing to start working out. When I started working out, I decided to start watching Netflix by using a recumbent bike. So my if then, or my pairing, was if I want to watch Netflix, I must be on my recumbent bike. Then pairing can also allow for planned exceptions as well. Because I had needle phobia, I paired getting a vaccine or a blood draw with getting a baked good. So I can only have a baked good the day I get a shot or a blood draw. And this has helped me train myself out of the needle phobia because I consistently aim for that exposure because I really, really like sweets. So now I don't have needle phobia and hey, maybe I'll have diabetes in the future. We'll see. Okay. Anyways... So other examples of pairing are talking on the phone while walking or pacing, listening to audiobooks or podcasts only when you're on a walk or a run, things like that. So find something that you really want to do and pair it with something you don't want to do, and then that will make it better. However, with pairing, you also need to watch out for bad habit pairs because they are very hard to break. So a bad habit pair would be on Saturdays, I get takeout and I binge Netflix. Because those are two not great things and you paired it with Saturday, which happens every week. So that means every week you're going to get takeout and then you're going to sit there watching hours of television. That's not a good move. So figure out the bad habit pairs you may have created because you might have accidentally created some of them. I know for me, my biggest bad habit pair that I created recently was right before recording this podcast episode, I would have Magic Spoon cereal. And okay, Magic Spoon cereal is healthy for you. However, I eat a lot of cereal, an unhealthy amount of cereal, I promise you. Like, you don't understand the way I'm talking about it now, but it's a ridiculous amount. So 
you don't need to know. But it was a bad habit pair that I created. Now that I'm on this whole 30 plan with my partner, it's I can't rely on the magic spoon right now to record this. So, you know, I'm kind of struggling because I don't have that habit chain going, but I broke it. So good things in the future. Yay. And the next habit strategy is loophole spotting. So I will get all into loopholes in next week's episode. That's part four. So the thing that you need to be aware of is to just be aware of loopholes you might be making to justify skipping good habits and enforcing bad habits. So next week, I'm going to go over all the different types of loopholes you're probably making to yourself when dealing with these habit changes. So stay tuned for that. Final three strategies will refer to how we relate with other people. So the first strategy is a strategy of clarity. Having clarity of values and clarity of actions is necessary to form habits. We must be clear about what we value and prioritize in order to justify habits. Ambivalent habits that you cannot link to your values are hard to keep. Clarity also allows us to pick up on bad habits because we hide those from the view of others. For example, secret eating. You don't eat your junk food in front of your friends because you don't want them to know you're eating junk food. To combat this, you need to make the habit public. Making it public can get you to quit, or it can make you feel less guilty over something because others do it too. Clarity also helps you to identify what Gretchen Rubin calls red herring habits. Red herring habits are habits we say we're going to adopt that we actually have no intention of doing. It usually reflects other people's values, but not your own. We all know the person who declares that they're going to start exercising or eating right, but then they have made several excuses for why they can't. So please, please, please be honest with yourself when it comes to habits. Don't try to say you'll do something if you honestly don't value that thing enough to do it. Because then you're going to avoid some form of guilt that you're going to get, and other people aren't going to think you're a hypocrite. So avoid red herring habits. Then your word choice can actually affect your sense of clarity in a habit. Like I mentioned earlier, I don't eat X versus I can't eat X. And also avoiding should thinking and vague goals will enhance your clarity. If you should do something, then you better be doing it. You shouldn't be saying, oh, I should be doing this. Just do it. For a clarity of actions, creating a bright line rule can help. Similar to if-then planning, thinking, and pairing, It definitively states an action you take as a rule, so there is no thinking about it. For example, I always practice for at least 30 minutes a day, or I will always answer my emails within 24 hours. Recently, I have been very slowly but surely eroding my bright line rules, but I am reestablishing them with this new year. I will be in bed by 1030. I will wake up on the first alarm. (laughs) That's been a mess this week. Um, I will plate all my food before eating things from the container. You get the picture. Create a bright line rule in order to just make it so you establish an action. In a way, it's kind of like abstaining or something. You make a rule, you can't eat this thing, so you don't eat the thing, and that's that. The next strategy is the strategy of identity. This means you're identifying yourself as a person who does X. So if you want to be a runner then you start identifying yourself as a runner. Don't say, I want to be a runner. Say, I am a runner. This is what a runner does. You want to watch out for negative identities too. 
If you identify proudly as a couch potato, but say you want to exercise more, you're in conflict with yourself. I define myself as somebody who had needle phobia, and consequently, I was not willing to even consider therapy to change that belief. But when I moved my identity away from that, I was able to overcome it. So figure out what you're holding your identity dear to, especially if it's a negative habit, and try to get away from that identity if you need to. Then act as the person you want to be and speak it into existence. Say your new identity in the mirror daily and put in effort to make sure you are completing the habits to make the identity possible. Don't let other people's perceptions of your identity stray you from your habit change. For example, I was known as being the baker in my family, but when I started losing weight, I stopped. And people were disappointed at first, but they moved on because my new identity didn't involve that. Now I'm the exerciser. People are going to try to sway you, especially if your identity or your habits has an effect on them. You just need to stand strong in what you're doing and what you believe in order to not fall for what they say. Another thing to remember is to not limit your habits with your sense of identity either. Just because you identify as a performer doesn't mean you can't compose or teach. I did fall into that hole for a while. And then I started composing and now, hey, I'm a composer too. But before I was like, oh, I perform or I compose. I can't do both. And if a habit you're doing does not fit with your identity or vice versa, do not be afraid to stop the habit or the identity. If you want to be a fitness enthusiast but hate running, then stop running and find something else to do rather than continuing to run. Upholders will often do this because of the standards and rules they hold themselves to. And also on the four tendencies, the strategy of identity is the number one strategy for rebels as it affects how they view themselves and how other people view them. This is usually enough to lead to habit change without a sense of internal or external expectations. So identity, who do you want to be known as? And the final habit strategy that I will cover in this episode is the strategy of other people. Other people's habits influence yours and yours influence others. You are the company you keep. When I started my weight loss journey, my family also started to become more active and eat better. But similarly, now that I no longer live there and they have resumed their old habits, I naturally adopt some of their habits when I return home, like sitting more and eating worse. And this is why couples tend to mirror each other in terms of health. If one person is overweight, the other partner is very likely to follow. And same with chronic health conditions associated with poor health habits such as type 2 diabetes and or high blood pressure. You want to strive to be around people who are good role models for the habits you want to keep. My best friends, Kaylee and Andre from episodes 11 and 12, are both avid runners, which keeps me going when my motivation is low. Additionally, people's negative habits can easily draw you in. If a friend wants to eat out while you're trying to save and eat better, for example, that's probably not going to work. And similarly, some people may actually try to undermine your new good habits purposefully out of fear of judgment or jealousy. If you're eating healthy, they might feel like you're secretly judging them, and then they might start countering that by judging you. I've had that happen. Other people will fall into the categories of drive, reverse, and neutral when it comes to enforcing your habits. 
people on drive are those actively supporting your habit and pushing you to make it work. If this is you for a friend, don't push too hard or you'll accidentally deter them probably. People on reverse are those actively undermining your healthy habits. So these are people who might be trying to convince you to break your diet, ridiculing you for being stringent, etc. And then people in neutral just choose to go along with supporting whatever you decide to do. If you want to do a healthy habit, they'll do that habit along with you and encourage you to do it. But if you want to indulge in a bad habit, they'll also go along with that as well. So these people, while they're good because they can be supportive, they're also supportive in the wrong ways too, so be careful with that. To prevent people from reversing your habits, you must hold firm in your identity and clarity of values. Maintain consistency of the habit and eventually they will accept it as the new norm for you. Consistency can also lead to others holding you accountable. If you've been going to the gym every weekend or practicing every day and a family member or housemate notices you're not doing that, they may point out that you missed the habit. Then, if you want someone you're close to to adopt a habit, the best thing you can do is to act as a role model for them by proudly doing the healthy habit. Eventually, they may follow. And if you're more intrinsically motivated, consider treating your future self like a different person who will be influenced by the actions your present self takes. This will especially help questioners, and then upholders and obligers should feel enough to pull from others. So that concludes the information portion of this episode. I hope these habit strange strategies were useful to you. If you have any questions or concerns or anything you want me to bring up in the last episode, please feel free to email me at piggotjasmine at gmail.com. I will definitely respond to you, or you can find me on social media at the Jazzy Tubist. It will be covered in the outro. So with that, I'm going to move on to Roses, Buds, and Thorns. Roses, Buds, and Thorns is a segment I do each week to cultivate a level of authenticity and gratitude. A rose is something good that happened, a bud is something you're looking forward to, and a thorn is something bad that happened. I always start with a thorn because I always want to end on positive notes. So my thorn this week, uh, I think it was my rose or my bud last week, something like that. Um... Yeah, I mentioned I was starting a new yoga habit, and that lasted the two days I said it lasted. I was like, yeah, I'm starting this yoga habit, and I'm doing it every morning, and this morning I did it to keep up consistency. Yeah, so last week was the last time I did that. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to try to start that again, but that's my thorn. I kind of slipped from that habit, even though I just started it, and I'm not going towards what I'm preaching right now. So, yeah, we'll we'll stay tuned, see if Jazzy actually continues to do yoga. It'll be an adventure. My rose for this week is last week I had fun playing with the serif brass. I got to read with the group, and I think I was the first... I was the first black person to ever play with the group, which was great. It was for an audition, so we'll see if I got it. But either way, I'm still very happy that I had the opportunity to play with such wonderful musicians and just to go to Wisconsin in the middle of the winter for some reason. Yeah, that was really cold, but it was still a great time. So that's my rose. And my bud is that I am getting my tubas cleaned. And I'm very excited that I'm getting my tubas cleaned because they haven't been cleaned in a while. So yay, tubas are getting cleaned. And then that will make them perform optimally for my 
recording session this weekend on Revolution. So I'm looking forward to both of those things, having clean tubas and having this recording session over and done with. So yay. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share this with your friends and family. We would really appreciate it. I, I would really appreciate it if you shared the show because we could have more listeners, which would be great. And yeah, so I hope you are having success in changing your habits right now. Next week, we'll get the last, the fourth and final part of the habit episodes, and this will be on habit loopholes. So this will be something that will probably make you feel called out because, yeah, it's very, very eye-opening because you most likely say some loopholes all the time. So, yes, looking forward to part four, episode 28. So have a great week, and I will see you next Thursday. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Harmony and Healing. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Harmony and Healing Podcast. And you can find me personally at The Jazzy Tubist on both Facebook and Instagram. And at my website, jasminepiggit.com. I'll see you next Thursday.